Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. I don't know I don't know what you're supposed to do when your mom and dad are gone, but I know that throwing a party often happens. So, no, but that would probably be childish, not childlike, right, Luke? So, we which is what we talked about last week. We're just going to keep moving. I'm in chapter 5 now, and uh, I'm just going to pray. But if you could, if you could uh, do something for me as we move into the Word, um, I've noticed something that when there's a hunger and an expectation in all of your hearts for whoever's up here, whoever has uh, a Word that God is wanting to release, there's something magnetic that happens. There's like, a, there's like a sponge that all of you guys have in your hearts that when you're hungry for what God has given me, it'll pull things out of me that I didn't even know I had. So if you guys could just put your hands out real quick, I'm just going to ask the Lord to increase the spirit of hunger in the room. Lord, I pray right now that you would allow hunger and thirst to rise in our hearts for what you have for us this morning, God. And I want to surrender my lips to you, God, and ask that you would come and that you would release fresh manna that would bear great fruit, not just fruit today, but fruit that remains and gets produced for generations to come, God. So open it up here this morning, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay, so if you guys want to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to read through to uh, 1 through 9 for just a minute, and if I, could, if I could sum the entire chapter up for you before I begin... Paul is really talking about in this chapter, what is a lifestyle of a saint? What does that look like day in and day out? And he kind of breaks it down in a a really nitty-gritty way. And I want to dive in and see what that means for us. So let's go ahead and start in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given us given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ." Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Wow. Okay. So, when I first started following the Lord, I got super on fire right away. I, I, it just, I started to explode inside, and I would read passages like this, and it would cause all kinds of anxiety. How many of you guys have felt the passion and the desire to imitate your Father in heaven, and you read verses like this, and you start running on the treadmill of religion, and you get beat up and chewed up and spit out, or just worn down and burnt out. How many of you guys can relate to that with me? Okay. That's how it happened for me. I started following the Lord, and I got this passion and this zeal for holiness, and I would read these things, and I'm, you know, the core desire of my heart, as all of us, is to please our daddy. That's, that's, that's probably one of the most core desires that each and every single one of us has is to be just like our dad. And that's, it's such a core desire. It's actually what the enemy used against us in the garden. He's like, I'm going to go after one of their chief and most core desires, and I'm going to twist it and make it the thing that has them fall. So I start pursuing the Lord, and I'm, I'm passionate about purity, but 
everything inside of me doesn't feel pure. I feel like a sinner. I feel guilty. And I struggled for a really long time with lust. That was, that was probably the biggest struggle. I thought after I got married, maybe that would clean it all up. But, you know, it didn't. That's not what happened. The struggle continued even into marriage. And I want you to take my struggle of lust that I had in the past and take a, make it a blank and put your struggle there. Maybe it's the same thing, but if you could put your struggle there in everything that I'm talking about, because it applies to every place in your life. And I remember going through inner healing and counseling, and I would do everything that I knew to do in order to get free of this. And I had this inner healing background, and I thought, man, if I could just figure out all the lies that I'm believing and break agreement with all the lies, then I'd have freedom. And then I thought, man, if I could just discover every single person that I've had any unforgiveness towards and forgive them, then I'll be free. So I started, I didn't even feel angry at people, and I'd be trying to figure out who I was mad at, just to try and peel back these layers and these onions until maybe one day I'll actually be free, and maybe one day I'll peel back enough layers in the inner healing onion that I'll be free and I'll step into wholeness. And you guys can relate to that. Or maybe, maybe there's a generational curse that I don't know about, and because of that, I'm going to just continue to struggle with this sin. So then I'd go on a, almost a witch hunt for generational curses. How many of you guys have been on a generational curse witch hunt? Hey. Now, the Lord started to do something to me that shifted everything. And at first, it sounded too good to be true. Now, I'm not throwing inner healing out. We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That stuff is really needed. But what happens is when we glorify it and focus on it more than we focus on the finished works of Christ, we get into, we just get into the stagnant waters. Be imitators of God as dear children. I don't really like the word imitators. How many of you guys think that English language sometimes has weird the definitions of words can be multiple things? And when I read imitators, I think, okay, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm this dirty, nasty sinner, but God, you know, he just says, be holy and just try hard. And look, I just want you to, I just want you to try and be like me. I know you're a sinner. I know you're unholy. I know, but you know what? Why don't you just try? Oh, and you're never actually going to succeed until you get to heaven, but you should just try anyways, because you know what? I just want you to try hard. Well, how many of you guys know that his burden is light and his yoke is easy? That doesn't sound like him at all, but We start to try and mimic God, and we get into this schizophrenic, hypocritical Christianity where we believe in our hearts that we're sinners, that we're dirty, that we're unholy, and yet we need to somehow imitate God while believing we're unholy. You know, Proverbs says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if you think you're a sinner, yet you're trying to obtain this standard of imitating God, you are always, always, always going to fail. It's like putting a carrot out in front of you. You're never going to get it. It's the treadmill of religion. That's what this is. Be imitators of God. That first verse. But you know the root of imit- imitator is not, it's not mimicking. When I first read it, I thought of imitation crab, right? How many of you guys like imitation crab? Raise your hand if you actually enjoy imitation crab. Just, okay. <laughs> That's cool. But at the end of the day, it's just fish paste, packaged like crab. It's just fake. It's exactly what religion is. 
We package ourselves, we clean ourselves up on the outside, we, but yet on the inside we feel dirty, we feel gross, and we actually believe that we're sinners and that we're not any good, but we're trying to look like it on the outside. But it's not core in us. God doesn't want you to just fake being like him. And that's what the second part says. It doesn't say just be imitators. And if you actually study out the word imitate, it has a root word in image, not mimic. Imitators of God as dear children. That's where everything changes right there. My son, the other day, he, I went to go put my shoes on. <laughs> and he followed me over and he goes, Dad, wherever you go, I go. <laughs> I don't think it was because he heard the worship song or anything. It's just, he just said it. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, Lord, this is what it is right here. This is what it is. I don't have to try and look like my dad. I was born with his DNA. It just effortlessly flows out of me. As I grow up and mature, my features will become more like my mom and my dad. It's not something that I try and do. And they'll even adapt my behavioral patterns. It just happens naturally just from being around me. God's not wanting you guys to get all of your ducks in a row and get your act together. He wants you to quit your act altogether. I think that's the way Walt put it. He wants you to quit your act altogether and start realizing that you look just like your dad. Now, I was talking about my struggle with purity and how when I read this verse, it created anxiety, condemnation, shame, and guilt, and I could never measure up. I remember distinctly, though, someone came up to me and prayed over me, and they said, you have a pure heart what? Are you kidding me? Do you know what I just thought last night? Do you know the struggle that I'm having? Could you come to me and tell me I have a pure heart? Do you know all the inner healing training I've been through? I know there's darkness in there. I know that there's some nastiness that I need to dig out, and it's going to take a long time. Don't tell me I'm pure. Well, I started to hear this more and more. I started to hear this, this thing called being a new creation. What does that even mean? What is grace? What is being a new creation? And when I started to hear that, that's what sounded too good to be true. That you're a new creation, that you're no longer a sinner, that you're a saint, that you're holy, that you're pure. And if you begin to believe what God believes about you, it'll begin to effortlessly manifest in your life. Well, that just sounds too good to be true. If I fully believe that, what happens if I'm wrong and 20 years later I become some pastor that has some secret sin that explodes out and just ruins lives and because I didn't go through enough inner healing and what would happen there? And I, I just don't want, I cannot, I can't give in. I don't want to be, I don't want to be uh, irresponsible with my heart. I want to make sure, and that's valid. We want to be responsible with our hearts. We want to make sure that we're getting all the stuff out on the table, that we're being transparent with people, that we're not just being fake, but we're actually sharing what the real emotions that we're going through are. But I'm telling you that if the gospel doesn't sound too good to be true, it's not the gospel. And you are so holy and so clean. I think we just need to get a revelation of this. And it's, oh my goodness, thank you, Lord. So when you look at be beloved children, be as dear children, this is about DNA. I heard somebody say one time that DNA might as well be an acronym for divine nature applied. I, I just love that. I thought, man, that's, that's what I want. I want the divine nature applied. For a believer, that's what your DNA. It's his divine nature. We get to partake of it. And if you read here in Ephesians 5, it goes through these lists of sins that we've been talking about, and it says, do not be partakers with them. But how many of you know the scripture says that we get to be partakers of his divine nature? 
when I started to realize I could partake of his divine nature and that I get born into it, I'm, I'm born into his kingdom, I'm born into my dad's family, I don't need to try and become more of my dad's son than I already am. I started to have these encounters with him. I started to believe that I was pure. I started to just believe it. And the temptations to enter into lust began to subside. Along with me being really real and open and transparent with close men and women around me, including my wife, about the struggle. But as the revelation of me being a new creation and being pure began to rise in my heart, the temptation began to subside and the, the manifestation of righteousness began to grow and grow. And this is when the Lord talked to me about how every name that he has is also our name. Like my dad, his name is LaMonica. And I was born with the same last name. And my wife, when she married me, she took upon my name. And there's two things that we get to identify in the names of the Lord. We're both his children and the bride of Christ. And God would start saying things to me like, ah, I love the poor. And I would hear my heart leap up and say, me too, Dad. I'd hear and say, I am. Me too, Dad. Why don't you guys just say that with me? I am. Me too, Dad. Say, me too, Dad. You say, me too, Daddy. You get to say, I am with the I am. Now, let's go back down to verse 8 here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. This doesn't say that you were once walking in darkness. It doesn't say that you once dabbled in darkness. It says that you once were darkness. Now you are light in the Lord. So when you read a passage like this that lists all these sins out, these things that are not the behaviors of a saint, You don't have to feel anxiety anymore because it's just listing a bunch of stuff about who you're not. (laughs) You're no longer darkness. Basically, Paul is saying, man, you guys are, did you guys know, why are you doing all these things? Don't you know that you're light in the Lord? Don't you know that's not who you are? Why don't you step into who you are? This is an invitation to step into your true identity as righteous sons and daughters of God. This is, an interesting thing because it sounds so easy to just say, you're a new creation, you're holy, you're righteous, just believe it and it'll start manifesting in your life and all these things. It is true, but if we just have an intellectual grasp of this in our mind, it's just what Dee calls pasting, the pasting revelation. God wants us to have a knowing in our heart about these truths that goes so much deeper than just an intellectual knowledge. This can only come through intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Intimacy with the Holy Spirit is the primary way that you will discover your identity. And if you discover your identity, that's where all the rest of your destiny is going to flow out of. The revelation of the gospel can become just as religious as any other revelation if you're not in a place of intimacy with the Holy Spirit. In fact, just being moral and ethic, anyone can do that in a sense. Anyone can exert enough willpower to have a good church program, to have good ethics and good character and 
some level of morality, but they can't do that and be happy at the same time. (laughs) God doesn't want you to just be holy and miserable, but you're doing good. He wants you to be holy and happy. In fact, holiness is for your happiness. If you want to pursue bliss and ecstasy, then you must, you must go pursue holiness. It's the same pursuit. It's the same path. And I believe that's why Paul says in this, I'm just skipping through verses here. I'm not going to be able to go through the whole chapter, but verse 17, he says, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Everybody say, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. This is the most important part of the whole passage. He's talking about character traits and attributes and the lifestyle of a saint, but none of that matters without this part right here. Because the Christian life, the life of a saint, the life of a citizen, isn't just a life where you get to say no to a bunch of bad things and live a boring life, but a holy life. It's a life where you get to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he listed, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, this is, this is really interesting because it's like a contrast and a similarity at the same time. Somebody who's drunk is going to be led into destruction. They're going to wake up with a hangover. All these things is going to just... There's so many... If you think of all the negative aspects of being drunk, it can be contrasted with all the positive aspects of being filled with the Spirit. It's constructive. It's energetic. It's life-giving. But at the same time, the man who's drunk loses his inhibitions, and the man who's filled with the Spirit also loses his inhibitions. He is no longer giving in to his own will. He's giving in to the will of the Lord, completely surrendered. You know, I think we need to take the word possession back. It's not a bad thing. I, we hear the word, I want to be, I'm possessed, you guys. I'm just going to say it right now. I'm fully possessed, full possession happening right here fully possessed. And no, I don't want any exorcism. I'm quite happy being like this. And I'm talking about being fully possessed by the Holy Spirit. God doesn't want to just rip sin out of you. He wants to fill you with himself. And he did rip sin out of you. He crucified your old man. He crucified your old nature. It doesn't even exist anymore. And as long as you have this intention of fighting this old person that doesn't exist, you're going to miss out on all the glory of intimacy with God. Uh, I have a story, something that happened to me a while back that puts this into picture perfectly. Rachel and I were living in Reading at the time, and we would go to this place called Winco in California, and it would stay open 24-7, and For whatever reason, I don't know what it was about our schedule, but we would go shopping way too late. And I remember getting home about 11 o'clock at night, and I'm pulling the groceries. Rachel brings the kids inside, and I'm pulling the groceries out of the back of my car, and I thought I saw the silhouette of a person in between the alleyway of my house and my neighbor's house. And I begin to bring the groceries in. I go back outside for another round, and I, I, I see some movement again. I'm like, what the heck is going on out here? There's a creeper in the back of my house behind a bush right now. And I walk up to the gate and I could see the silhouette of this person crouched down like this and he leans up and he goes real slow and leans up against the wall. And I thought, oh my gosh, there's, so, there's someone back here creeping. I can't believe it. And I, I just said, how you doing? <laughs> oh, oh, I'm doing fine. I, I'm just getting some fresh air. I'm just getting some, don't worry about me. Oh, okay. All right. 
So I went back to get my groceries. But in the meantime, this guy is still talking. And I could hear him saying this and that and my wife this and my wife that. And he's just ranting from behind the bush, literally ranting. And I, I put my groceries back and I said, why don't you come on out here and talk to me? And he goes, oh, okay. And he comes out and we start talking and he's sharing me about his wife struggling with all kinds of issues. And I couldn't figure out if the guy had been drinking or not or what was going on. But I just asked him, can I pray for you? Is it all right if I pray? Oh, no, you know, I don't need none of that right now. I go to church every once in a while. I'm good. I said, I didn't ask if you're going to church. I just asked if I could pray for you. Clearly, you're having some trouble right now. And he, uh, he finally agreed, and I laid my hands on him. As soon as I did, I felt the Holy Spirit come upon me, and I just felt him wrap around me, and I thought, I need to pray that this man gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm putting my hand on him, and I pray, Holy Spirit, would you baptize him with your spirit? And in that moment, the guy falls out in my arms in the middle of the street. And I'm holding this guy and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, either he's drunk or my prayer worked, you know? And that's, <laughs> and I'm holding him and a couple of seconds go by, you know, you got this guy in your arms, you know, what do you do? Like you're just holding this. And all of a sudden he gasps back to life. I'm like, what just happened to me? Who are you? What's going on? I'm, you tell me what's going on. I have no idea what just happened to me. Like, you talk, you tell me. And he starts stepping towards me, kind of intense. You got to come to my house. You got to come to my house. Okay, hold on a second. I have, I'm confused at this point. I don't know why he's asking me to come to his house. I'm thinking, my wife's inside. It's really late. She's probably wondering where I'm at. I'm outside at you know, almost middle of the night. And he... He takes me, I decide to take a risk. I don't know what this guy wants me to do at his house, but I'm just going to go for it. Sometimes the best things come out of risk, you know? So I go to, down a couple, blo- couple blocks to his house, and we walk in, we start praying for his house, and the whole thing was just weird. He, his family was asleep, and I didn't know really how to, how to talk to the guy. It just seemed like he was in this mode of encounter. He's talking about seeing an umbrella come over his house, and I thought, okay, well, you know, I'm going to go. Bless you. You know, I'll see you later. And I didn't hear from the guy, see the guy for a whole nother year. I had no idea. Just that part of the story was amazing to me alone. About a year later, I'm getting out of my car, and I see this guy running down the street. He goes, hey, you, are you the guy that lives here on the corner? Are you the guy that lives here on the corner? Yeah, that's me. You remember me? I'm the guy you prayed for here about a year ago. And I just wanted to let you know that since that night, I haven't taken another drink of alcohol in my life and I got a job. I'm getting ready to get promoted, and someone just gave me a car so I could take my kids to school. I, I, I didn't even know what to say. That moment, I just like, that's what it's all about. That's what the encounters are all about. It's so that people's lives can get transformed. And we could look at passages like this, and we could say, okay, I'm in a new creation, and I'm going to really, you know, I'm going to really believe hard about this, and I'm going to go at this imitating God thing, and uh, but none of it works without his presence. None of it works without the Holy Spirit. And right after this, Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He flows right into this whole message on three different kinds of relationships. Relationships between husbands and wives, children and parents, and masters and servants, basically your workplace. And this guy gets struck by the Lord, and in that moment, he gets delivered from alcohol, his family's still intact, his kids get to go to school in a brand new car. The whole thing happened right there. And now he knows that his deliverer is Jesus Christ. I want to just invite us to a greater value and honor 
I, I read a review about our church one time that said we focus too much and emphasis, emphasize too much the presence of God and the Spirit of God, and I thought, wow, I didn't know we could emphasize Holy Spirit too much. He, he is part of the Godhead, you know. He, he is God himself. I'm not really sure how that's possible. He's not just an energy or a force or a liquid. Or, I know that there's prophetic symbols of him being an oil and all these, and he is, but man, this is a person. And he's inviting us into this relationship to be intimate with him, to see that we no longer have to try and be like our dad, but we look just like him in every way. And when we begin to have that revelation, we don't need to strive and run on the treadmill of religion. We get to just effortlessly live in love with our dad and experience his pleasure. Holiness is not about holiness in and of itself. Holiness is about living a lifestyle of pleasure. It's about living a lifestyle that is more close to Eden than we can ever remember. Eden means pleasure, by the way. God created you to live in a garden called pleasure, and Jesus opened the way back up. So if you could all just stand with me for a moment. Some of you have had an encounter where you, you can remember being baptized by the Holy Spirit. And some of you can remember moments of being filled, but in this context, it's a continual thing. What I want to do is I want to invite those of you who maybe have never received Jesus in your heart before to do that. But for those of you who are Christians, there's this moment in the book of Acts where Paul finds this community of believers who believe in Jesus, but they've never actually been filled with the Holy Spirit. They have their church program, but they have no idea who this Holy Spirit guy is. There's some of you today that God wants you to begin to hunger and thirst for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and some of you that God also wants to refresh you and to begin to step back into a lifestyle of being filled all the time. None, none of the theology, none of, none of this matters without his presence. So we're going to go into a moment of worship where we can just say, you know what? God, I have been struggling with these sins. I have been struggling with that. I don't fully see myself as holy or a new creation. And he's going to come and he's going to wash you today. He's going to wash you from guilt and shame, condemnation, And he's going to invite you into a place where you stop trying so hard. You don't have to try to be filled with the Holy Spirit either. This is not something you get to drum up or work up or anything. You just get to invite him in. Most of you, he's probably more alive and awake in you than you, than you even know yourself. If you feel like you want to experience just a fresh filling or you want for the first time to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you guys to just come up to the front and we're going to just sing an extended little bit of time of worship and ask the Lord for that. You can stay where you're at too. You don't have to come down here, but 
I'm just going to pray and ask that the Holy Spirit comes and fills you up. The Holy Spirit, I know, God, right now that you want to hover across the room, that you'd begin to pour your spirit out. Refresh people with your presence this morning, God. God, there's people here that have never had an encounter with being baptized in your presence, God, and I pray that you would allow that to come upon them right now. His Spirit isn't coming upon you just to make you a better Christian or to perform better. That's just the fruit, the fruits of the Spirit. One of the strongest definitions of grace is that it's the divine influence upon the heart of man and its reflection in life. And grace is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is grace. And God wants to come upon your heart in a way this morning that is, it causes an influence upon your heart that begins to reflect in every area of your life. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you come. Just begin to ask him to come. Ask him to fill you up, Lord. Thank you, just fill us up, God. And I'm just gonna allow this place to just stay open for you guys to seek the Lord on that. And if there's any ministry team that wants to come and just begin laying hands on people that are up here, that would be awesome. I'd love that. Yeah. Dad, you're good. Thank you that we get to say, me too, Dad. Thank you that we get to say, I am with you. Thank you that our identity is your identity. Thank you, Lord. Mm. In Jesus' name.